You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Well, hey, good morning, Creekside. You are so friendly. Let's try that again. Well, Creekside, good morning. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be back. It's good to see all of you. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have started attending in the last three months, um, I work here. Um, <laughs> you might not have known that, but I do. It's so good to see you. If it is your very first time with us, we'd love to give you a gift this morning. Uh, you see them up there, a tumbler or a sippy cup or a water bottle. That's our gift to you if it's your first time with us today. Uh, if you'd like more information about our church or there's something we can be praying about for you, there should be a slip in the seat back in front of you. You can take that, fill it out, and put it in the offering slot, which is right over there. It is so good to be back with you. Thank you. In 1 Corinthians 4, you know, Paul says to the Corinthian church, what do you have that you did not receive? And uh, that verse has been ringing in my head over the past few months because this sabbatical you gave me, it was such a gift. I did not deserve it. It was grace. It was your grace, really God's grace through you to me. So, Thank you. And we have received so much during this season. Seriously, just stop it. Stop blessing our family. It's getting embarrassing how much you are blessed. No, I, I am so grateful. We can't repay you for all you've done, but we can say thank you. So thank you. You know, a few days ago, I was with my son, Jake, and he asked me, Dad, you know, do we really have to wait seven more years for you to do this again? Can we kind of... And, and that's exactly what I hoped he would and I just, I tell you as, as a dad, it means so much to me that my kids grow up in a church where their church wants me to prioritize them. I, that is such a gift. So thank you. Uh, and I just want to thank all the leadership from Creekside here uh, while I was away. Uh, man, they didn't just pick up my slack. They just crushed it. It was ridiculous. They just said, Jeff, leave, and then I left, and then I didn't, I don't know. It all went fine, right? You're all still here. And, and I can't tell you how liberating that is to know that, that none of this is dependent on me. It's not, and you know, you know that in life, you know that, but when you take your hands off the wheel, you, you learn that, that, that really things don't ultimately depend on you. They depend on the Lord, and that's a very liberating place to live. So you don't need me, um, that being said, I'm not going to resign. If, if it's okay, I'd like to keep working here. And that's actually one of the things that Jesus was kind to show us during our time away. We were in a lot of parts of the country, all of them hotter than here. Um, saw God do a lot of cool things, but, but we also really sensed him confirm our calling to be here still for the long term. And, uh, you know, God could call us anywhere, but I'm just so grateful to be here with you. So, so thank you. So people ask, what do you do on a sabbatical? You play Call of Duty. You watch TikTok videos. Um, no, we did a lot of different things. 
But I focused on two things. I tried to spend a lot of time with Jesus, and I thought a lot about the mission of the church and what God would have for us in the future. And the elders asked me to talk to you about what I learned, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what I learned in hopefully less than 60 minutes. Um, But I want to talk about those two things, about being on mission and being with Jesus. So we're going to call this With Jesus on Mission, and perhaps you're wondering how those two things go together, because they seem like two very different things. In fact, you can think of two very different kinds of Christians, right? There's the mission Christians, and they're like, let's go all the time, right? Life is short, hell is hot, let's get out there, let's tell people about Jesus, let's meet needs, let's do justice, ready, fire, aim, let's go. Why are we in here still? Like, let's leave right now, let's go, right? There's those people, and you know who you are, and then there's the contemplative Christians, and they talk a lot more slow. And they really like being with Jesus. And they're, they're kind of mystical, and they always want to pray before they do anything. And they kind of make the action-oriented Christians anxious, right? They're like, when are you going to do something, right? And so what do being with Jesus and being on mission have to do with each other? Well, one thing the Lord showed me this summer is they have everything to do with each other. In fact, I think until you see the connection between those two things, I don't know if you'll ever have the motivation or power you need to do what Jesus is calling you to do, what he's calling me to do. And this has really reshaped the way I look at following Jesus this summer. So, so two things I long for you to see. This is my heart this morning. One is that being on Jesus' mission is just a way to be closer to Jesus. Why would you live on mission for Jesus? Because you get to be close to Jesus. That's why you do it. Second, there's no better place to be than being with Jesus. That's what you're created for. I hope you see that this morning. I want to pray for that. Would you pray with me now? And so, Father, by your Spirit, would you clear away distractions? I pray against the evil one, against any demonic forces that would hinder us from hearing your word to us. Jesus, fill us with the power of your spirit and make us people who are eager to join you in what you have for us. And help us to see this morning that the best place we could ever be is with you. Jesus, that's the truth. And thank you that you are always with us. Thank you that you long to be with us. Would we just want to be with you too? And I ask it in your name. Amen. Being with Jesus, being on mission, how do those things connect? Let's start with being on mission. I don't, if you've been a Christian, this is all stuff you've already heard. I just want to yell at you for a while about it, okay? Matthew 28, you've already heard this. King Jesus gives us our marching orders forever for what the church is supposed to be about. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus tells the first disciples, he tells us, make disciples. Jesus is not just talking to pastors or church leaders or professional Christians. There were no professional Christians when Jesus said this. He's telling all of us, you, me, anyone who belongs to him, that your job description in life is now what I give you, and it's make disciples. We cannot hear that enough as followers of Jesus. 
1961, Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers, he gathers players together on the first day of training camp. He looked around at these players. He picked up a football. Do you know what he said? This is a football. These men were not new to football. In fact, the season prior, they had just lost the NFL championship in the final seconds to the Philadelphia Eagles. And yet Lombardi wanted to start at the most basic level, almost absurdly basic. Why? Because Lombardi was obsessed with the basics. Because that's the easiest thing to forget. What is football? What's our objective? And he wanted his players to keep that in their mind all the time. And I'm not the first to make this analogy, but as Christians, we need the this is a football speech all the time. Because it is so easy to forget why we are here. So here's my this is a Christian speech right here, okay? What is a Christian? The New Testament answer is a disciple. A disciple. The New Testament uses the word Christian three times. Do you know how many times it uses the word disciple? 269. A disciple. What is a disciple of Jesus? It's a student of Jesus an apprentice of Jesus, someone who sees Jesus as their master and now I belong to Jesus and I am learning to live life the way Jesus lives so that I can do what Jesus does. My life is to be with Jesus and become like Jesus so I can do what Jesus does. Y'all tracking with me so far? Good. So if my goal is to become like Jesus, ultimately I'm gonna do what Jesus did. What did Jesus spend all his time doing? Making disciples. Making disciples. If you looked at the overwhelming reality of Jesus' life, what did he spend those three years of earthly ministry doing? Pouring his life out in a few who could then go carry on his work in the world. And so when he gets to the end of his earthly ministry and talks to his disciples, it came as no surprise what Jesus would tell them to do. Do what I just did with you. Go make disciples. I exist to make disciples if I'm a follower of Jesus. You exist to make disciples. The reason that God didn't, have you ever thought about this? The reason God didn't save you and zap you into heaven. Wouldn't that be great? Just get saved on earth, boom, glory, right? That was great, right? Why didn't God do that? Why would God save you in history rather than just save you into eternity? The only reason I can think of is because there is a mission on earth that is not completed that God wants you to be a part of. That is it, right? We, we get the presence of Jesus in heaven. We get great community in heaven. You're going to love me in heaven. I'm not going to be sinful. I'm going to be great. Um, and so are you. We're going to have all sorts of wonderful things. You know, we won't have the mission we have right now. That is why you have a pulse if you're a Christian. And the reason God saved a people was to make them participants in his mission. The Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright has said that God did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. So a church that doesn't care about making disciples is like a football team that doesn't care about winning. It's actually worse than that. It's like a football team that only practices and never plays a game. Like we all come together and huddle. Everybody cheers. And we run back. And then we go huddle, right? That's, that's what we're doing. The goal is to make disciples, which means that Creekside does not exist 
to put on Sunday services. Because Jesus did not say, go into all the nations and put on Sunday services with four songs at the beginning and a moderately funny 35-minute message at the end that uses the Bible. We do not exist to run programs. We do not exist to provide religious goods and services. We exist to what? Make disciples. Make disciples. If you're sick of me saying it, I'm, I'm getting the point across. That's good. Make disciples. We want people to know Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and then go with Jesus to help others know Jesus and grow in Jesus so they can, and you get the point. That's every one of us. We are all called to that because the reality for the church is we can't mass produce disciples of Jesus. The church isn't a factory where you kind of run people into services and programs and we put all these things on and whoop, out pops a disciple at the end of the pro That would be easy, right? Because then you just get the programs right and the events right and just you start churning out disciples. No, that doesn't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. All of you make disciples as you are living redemptively engaged in your sphere of influence. And so services aren't bad, programs aren't bad, but they all exist to make disciples. And if they don't make disciples, they're not of use to Jesus' mission in the world. It's all about making disciples. It's not mechanical, it's personal. It's you. You are God's missionary strategy in the world. You. God doesn't have a missionary strategy other than you. You are the strategy. You living. And, and here's what I hope encourages you as you look at the New Testament. It is ordinary people who make disciples. Ordinary people who lived in extraordinary dependence on Jesus. And they had supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. And they did miracles. And they healed people in Jesus' name. And cast out demons in Jesus' name. And bore witness. And the world was never the same. Ordinary people are the only people God has ever used. Don't you love, every time God calls someone in the Bible, they immediately say, I'm unqualified. It's the first thing, every time. So if you feel unqualified, you're in good company. Okay? This is our identity. This is a football. We exist to make disciples. Okay? Does that scare you a little bit? It scares me. It's good. If you're scared, it's big. It's a big mission right? This is scary to take this to the world, but I can't think of a better thing for your life to be wrong out doing than this. You might never have children of your own. In Christ, did you know you can have spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to the thousandth generation and leave a legacy that will outlive you into eternity? That's what Jesus is inviting you into. I'm excited about a lot of things. I thought about a lot of things. I want us to plant more churches. I want us to start a huge ministry to help immigrants. I've got all these ideas. I'm not most excited about that. I'm excited about you and what God can do through you. And I want to convince you that what is worth it for your life is having it wrung out making disciples. And that's it. I got to spend time, uh, my wife and I did, with Ken and Trudy Birding, who mentored us in college. and They were missionaries in Turkey. They've done a gazillion things. And you ever meet people where God answers their prayers? Like, they, they pray and crazy stuff happens. So they've made disciples throughout their lives. And um, they had prayed. They wanted to start an intentional community where people would live with them, 10 college students at a time, and they would just disciple them up and send them out. 
And that's what they wanted to spend the rest of their lives doing. But they needed two houses to do it. So they said, God, would you give us one property with two houses within five miles of where we live for a ridiculously low price so we can do this? And then God did it, right? And, and he gave them this house in a suburb of LA. It's not cheap at all. And this guy had built two houses on one property, then tried to subdivide the property to sell it as two different properties, and the county wouldn't let him. So he's stuck with this property that no one would ever want. So they get this incredible sale. They're not wealthy people. And now they have, you know, 10 college students at a time living with them, leading them to Jesus, discipling them, sending them out. And, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Ken is an introvert. Like, he's bookish, right? He just likes to be alone with a book, and he's like, this is exhausting. But, you know, 60 disciples made over the last five years and then sent out, raising up the next generation of Christian leaders, and he said something that I love. He said, Jeff, I don't want to burn out, but I want to die tired. I thought, yes, that is exactly what I want for all of you. Don't you want to die with nothing left in the tank? That it was all spent for Jesus. I held nothing back, or to keep my football analogy, you can tell the season's about to start. I'm thinking a lot about football. I left nothing on the field. Nothing on the field. That's the tragedy for a Christian is that you die with stuff left on the field, with talent and treasure and resources that weren't leveraged for the kingdom. I want you all to leave it all in the field. But I'm going to ask you this. What's going to fuel you to live that way? Because here's what I've really learned over the summer. Is that the reason I want to participate in Jesus' mission is because do you know what the reward of that is? I get more of Jesus. And that's the only fuel that will sustain you to keep doing this. That's it. So this is my thesis for the morning. I'll try to prove it from the Bible. If I want to experience more of Jesus' presence, his power, his presence, his pleasure in my life, I will join him on his mission. But for that to be true, do you know what I have to long for? More of Jesus. <laughs> That's the fundamental issue, is that I want to be close to Jesus. And if you get that issue settled, you'll join him in his mission. Does that make sense? All right, let me try to prove it from the Bible. John 4, that's where we're going to go this morning. Here's the question I want you to consider as we began. What fueled Jesus? What fueled Jesus on his mission? He tells us in John 4. We read this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. You might remember what happened just before this. Jesus was walking from Galilee in the north down to Judea in the south, and the Father rerouted him into Samaria, which is where Jews never went because they hated Samaritans. And then he led him to this woman at a well, and the women in the village hated, and everyone hated her. She was an outcast, and she was sort of notorious in the community, marginalized woman. And so you have Jesus going, the Father leading him where Jews never went, and now talking to a, a woman that an upstanding Jewish man would never talk to. And, and you probably know the story. Jesus reveals her need for him. She sees her need. She believes in him. And then you remember what she does? She goes to her village and says, you've got to come meet this guy. And that's where we pick up the story. As this woman is bringing her entire village to come meet Jesus, 
And meanwhile, the disciples, apparently, they've been getting food, which I love, because the disciples are always thinking about food in the God. Have you ever noticed that? And like, I don't belittle them for that, because I'm always thinking about food. Like, if I was one of Jesus' followers, like, I think the, the only reference in the gospel to me would be like, meanwhile, Jeff was getting food, right? And then, and then something would happen that I missed. And that's what always happens uh, with Jesus and his disciples. So they're back, and, and, and he's like, they're like, do you have any food? And, and he says, I have food that you do not know about. And the disciples, as you know, they usually do, they have no idea what he's talking about. So they said to one of them, someone brought him something to eat. They almost never understand Jesus the first time, which is encouraging, right? We're all slow learners. And they think he's speaking literally. Like, Jesus, you have snacks? Someone bring you snacks, right? But Jesus said to them, this is the part you should focus on, my food is to do what? The will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you hear Jesus' point? He's saying this, fulfilling my father's mission. In this case, getting diverted to Samaria to meet this woman, lead her to him, and lead this village. Doing that, responding to my father's initiative, is my food. What's he saying? He's saying that the sustaining, satisfying reality of my life is doing what my father tells me to do and going where he tells me to go. That's my fuel. Deuteronomy 8, Moses says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's Jesus. His sustaining reality is, God, what do you want me to do next? And then God tells him, he obeys, he does it, and what does he experience? The power the pleasure of his father as he obeys his calling. Jesus says, that's what lights me up. That's how I experience the presence of God with me. He says the same thing later in John 8. He says this to his opponents. He said, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Why? For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What is Jesus saying? As I walk moment by moment in obedience to God and carrying out the mission, what do I experience? The Father's pleasure. The Father's presence with me. This is why I live, is to experience that and to walk in that obedience. And now here's the crazy thing. Jesus says this, what fuels me, what sustains and satisfies me is the same thing that will sustain and satisfy Jesus sees this as a teachable moment, so he goes on to say this to his disciples. Do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps and sent you to reap I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you enter into their labor. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we have this part to play in God's redemptive plan and we can play it right now. Typically you have to wait for harvest. Jesus said a harvest is coming and you don't have to wait. It's here. That people have already worked the prophets, John the Baptist, God's spirit have, are sowing things into people. They are working throughout history, and now the time is right. The harvest is here. People are ready to come to me as Messiah, and you get to be part of that harvest, and that's going to be your food too. 
the sustaining, satisfying reality of your life. And isn't this a poignant image? Because as Jesus is saying this, do you know what's happening? The harvest is literally walking toward him. Those villagers from the, the, the Samaritan village, they are coming to Jesus ready to believe. And Jesus is just saying, just open your eyes to what God is doing. You have a part to play in that. You didn't even work for it. But you get to be part of it now. And what do they get as they work with God? Jesus says it's joy. The sower Everyone who sowed in, the reaper, they get God's own joy as they see people come to Jesus. Joy. That's the motivation for us, is the joy of Jesus in knowing we are walking closely with him to see him work through us to bring people into his kingdom. That is the the greatest joy I think you can experience on this side of heaven is not just knowing that Jesus is in you, but that he's working through you to change other people. So do you want to experience the power of God? Do you want to know that he is present in your life? Do you want to experience a satisfaction and a sustenance that you maybe have never felt Then join Jesus on his mission? Because see, that's where Jesus is in the world. He's out in front of us making disciples. And when we walk with him, we get to experience his power and his presence in a whole new way. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. And what I want you to see is that in the Bible, communion with Jesus and commissioning to Jesus' mission always go together. Communion and commission, what do I mean? When we are with Jesus, we're with Jesus to go do what? What Jesus does in the world. So those things always go together. I'm going to prove it from the Bible, okay? Here we go. Follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. What's Jesus saying? Commune with me. Be with me. Why? Because we're going to go make more disciples. We're going to go find people and bring them into the kingdom. Let's, let's go to the next one. We just saw it. Make disciples. What does Jesus say right after that? Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus knows you're not qualified to do this. That's why he's going with you to do it. But what's going together? Communion with Jesus, Jesus' presence with us. Why? To go and do what? Make disciples. You see how they go together? Give you another one. Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven, he tells the the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And boy, did they. They just start doing crazy supernatural stuff that Jesus did because the same spirit is in them. But why is that spirit in them? To make them witnesses to empower them to talk about Jesus to the ends of the earth. You see that? Intimacy with God, the Holy Spirit with you, fulfilling Jesus' mission. They go together. I really want to prove it. One more, okay? One more. John 15. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That part's important. That's the last part. What's Jesus saying? Stay close to me. I'll stay close to you. And as we do that, what are we going to go do? Make more disciples. That's what the fruit is there, bearing more fruit. So do you see the connection between these things? When Jesus comes to live in your life, he's not stagnant. It's not like he just sits there like, okay, what do you want to do? No. Jesus is out in front of you. He's leading you every day. He's giving you opportunities. He's sowing into people all around you, and he's inviting you to join him in his work, which means this. When a Christian doesn't participate in Jesus' 
mission. They're starving. They're starving. You might be filled with all the things this world has to offer, but you feel completely unsatisfied in your Christian life. One reason might be if you're not participating with Jesus in the mission, you're not getting your heavenly food. You're not experiencing his sustaining grace and power and living in dependence on him where, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what's going to happen. Then you see him show up and, oh, man, yes, Jesus, you're there. You showed up. Don't you want that? That's scary, but that's fun. That's a good way to live. It's sort of like when you're not walking with Jesus in that way, it's kind of like being in a three-legged race and Jesus always wants to go this way and you want to go that way. And so you're always, uh, 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 right? The elastic keeps smacking into each other because that's where Jesus wants to take you. And what an honor, right? What an honor that Jesus didn't just save you so you could sit around. He's like, no, let me give you the most satisfying mission. You're going to walk with me and I'm going to change the world through you. That makes me hungry. That makes me hungry. And and you know what? That saves me from some bad motivations. Because there's bad reasons to be on mission with Jesus, okay? Here are three that that I struggle with. Maybe you struggle with them. Some of you hear this and you just feel guilt, right? Oh, I'm a bad Christian, right? And just start doing, okay, fine, I'll go be on mission. Right? That's a terrible motivation, it's terrible. I don't want you to feel that. And here's why. Because if it's just about guilt and now I need to be a good Christian, you'll go out and maybe you'll awkwardly share the faith with someone. And then you know what goes away for a while? The guilt. And then do you know what you need to stay on mission? More guilt. <laughs> you need to feel bad again to go do something for Jesus. And, and if you're operating out of that, you can actually begin to resent Jesus. Because like, I can never do enough for you. I can never be enough for you. I can never, and, and, and that's just a horrible, that's just a, a hamster wheel where Jesus, realizing Jesus is already pleased with you because of what he's done. The Father, he's already accepted. He just doesn't want you to miss out on the adventure of this. Guilt's a horrible motivation. Here's another terrible one, affirmation from other people. I need to be seen as a good Christian. Like, I'll confess, like, I really wanted to lead someone to Christ during my sabbatical. And one reason, this is like full disclosure time, one reason is so that I could have a sermon illustration for this talk, right? Because it's hard to come up with sermon illustrations for talks, right? And it'd be like, God, it'd be really great if you could give me an illustration so I could, like, model this for my people. And he didn't answer that prayer, and I think you know why, because it's evil motives, Right? I mean, you try preaching. It's hard to come up with illustrations, okay? Like, but, but here's the thing. Like, that's just a bad motivation. If it's going to be seen as this kind of good Christian, well, then people see you that way and you have your reward in full, Jesus would say. That's not going to sustain you. Maybe the worst one is anxiety. God needs me. Oh, man, if I don't do this, no one's going to do it. If I don't reach these people, no one's going to reach them. It's all on me. It's not. It's not at all. Like, God is not waiting on you to reach people. He's not, because that mission is too important to him. His glory is too important to him. He's not hamstrung by you at all. I I spent the summer reading credible miracle accounts from around the world, multiple attestation eyewitnesses of modern-day miracles. It's insane what God is doing in the world. I read this story about two missionaries who were smuggling Bibles into a closed country. 
And, and as they're driving, they, their steering wheel mysteriously jams all of a sudden. They have to go forced to the side of the road. And they're smuggling Bibles into a country where you can't have Bibles. And this old man walks up to him on the side of the road, and he says, do you have the books? And they're like, what books are you talking about? And he's like, the book's about Jesus. And they're like, uh, how do you know we have books about Jesus? And he's like, well, we live up on that mountain there, and Jesus appeared to me in a dream and said, I'm real. And then he appeared to everyone else in the village in a dream and said, I'm real. And so I was just talking to Jesus about this, and I said, Jesus, we don't know anything about you. So how are we going to learn more about you? And he said, well, there's a book about me, and there's going to be two guys on that road down there today. And so walk down to the side of the road. They have a truck full of books about me. Go stop them. So that's why I'm here asking you about the books. Like, there are so many stories like that. Like, does God need you? What, what part do I get to play? My steering wheel gets to get jammed. That's who I am in that story. Now, here's our problem when we hear stories like that. We think, but God doesn't work that way here. And my question to you is, how do you know? How on earth do you know who God is reaching, how he wants to reach them, and how he wants you to use you to reach them? You have no idea what God wants to do through you. And the biblical reality we need to rely on, and this frees us from anxiety, is God is working all the time. All the time, he's out in front of us, convicting people's hearts, removing satanic blinders. He is working and active to save people, and we get to come in at the very end, right? Like it's a team project, and it's not, and just sort of get in the way of what God's doing and then get used, and that's the greatest thing to live for. So the first step is just realizing God's already at work all the time, and he wants to use me. And so family, we can't manufacture this. We can't get competent enough to do this. Yes, keep studying your Bible. Keep growing in the faith. You're never gonna feel qualified and competent enough to get used. What you need to be is dependent. Dependent. And just realize, God, you're working in 10,000 ways all around me. Could I see three more right now? Can I just see three more ways that you're working? And then spirit, would you lead me in what I'm supposed to pray for this person, say to this person, and that's how you live. Two, two ways to do this. Two ways, really quick, to live out of this. First, just ask in the morning, okay, God, what are you inviting me into today? Okay, spirit, I'm available. I want to be used. I just trust that what I'm doing is my missionary field for today. What are you inviting me into? And then would you make me attentive to people's needs, to their pains? Would you give me chances to pray with people? Would you give me words to say? Guess what? The more expectant you are, you know what you're going to get? opportunities. Second way to make this a discipline, just start your pray, watch, bless list. I love this. I stole this idea. It's a great idea. Um, just everyone who is yet to believe in your life, as you meet them, make a list and start praying for them by name. Just praying and then watching. As you're praying for that list of people by name, watching, God, would you give me opportunities? Watching, watching. And then when you see that chance to bless them, bless them encouragement, active service. Can I pray for you about that? You know, I pray and I believe God does things, so can I pray for you? That might weird them out. That's fine. 
that's cool. At least I'll know you're a Christian then, and you don't have to have that conversation 15 years later that's awkward, like when you've never talked about Jesus, then you're like, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian, and it's the most important part of my life. I just didn't mention it for the last 15 years. Right? That's horrible. No. So, so you see, this is all about just responding to things God's already doing, and it's fun. It makes life an adventure where you're just responding by faith to what the Spirit is doing out in front of you. That's what we're called to do. But then I'll try to end with this as quickly as I can. Um, the reason to do this is just to walk closely with Jesus. Here's the bottom line issue for every disciple of Jesus. Do you want to be with Jesus? And have I come to be convinced that only by being close to Jesus do I get what I most desperately need? That, that he's what I need. That's the bottom line issue for all of us because Jesus says this two chapters later in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There is a hunger and thirst in the human soul that only Jesus can satisfy. And Jesus is an infinite fountain of happy joy and rest and he invites people to come and drink. And to experience a satisfaction, you're not gonna get anywhere else. That's what he's inviting you into every day. Do you believe Jesus when he says to you in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. There's an unburdening we need from life that only Jesus can give. You can take a million vacations and you'll still be burdened. You can get every nice thing in the world and you will still be weighed down with cares and anxieties and troubles and guilt and shame. And the only one who can lift that yoke off of you is Jesus and put it on himself and say, just walk with me. That's what he's offering you every day. Just come and get rest. You can't get anywhere else. Get food. You can't get anywhere else. Get water. You can't drink anywhere else. Get satisfaction. You can't get anywhere else else. And the bottom line reality for Christians is we live out of that overflow with Jesus. The Puritan said that communion with God has to become delicious to you. I love that word because something's delicious like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. I want more of that. And that's how the Bible describes being with Jesus. In your presence is fullness of joy. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand days of vacation won't give you the satisfaction of one day with Jesus. Do you believe that? Because if we are living out of an overflow of communion with Jesus and see how good he is and gracious it is, it's not going to be hard to tell people, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He can fix some things in your life. He can put some things back together in your life. Here's what he does for me every day. And if you're not living out of that, the Christian life is a horrible, horrible duty and drudgery because we don't see that Jesus already loves us. He already accepts us, and he just wants to be with us. That's his longing is just to, to be with us. And here's my big sabbatical lesson right here, okay? Here's the takeaway. I won't desire to labor with Jesus until I learn to rest in Jesus. See, if I want to go out with Jesus in the world, the first thing is I've just got to spend time with him for the sake of what? Spending time with him. That's it. 
So I don't feel like an authority on mission. I think I'm an authority on rest now because I got three months of it. So let me tell you what I've learned about rest, okay? Speaking as an authority, I just experimented with it. I tried to rest in all sorts of different ways. And they were great, right? I, I laid on a beach all day without a phone, just, uh, just staring. That was restful, right? I took forever to cook. I just didn't rush myself at all. I tried to sleep as long as I could sleep. It was great. You should try it sometime. But you know what? The rest I most crave after my sabbatical is none of those things. It's being with Jesus. Just to be with Jesus. And that's it. Because that's why you were created, is to be with Jesus. Here's the good news. You don't need to go take a three-month sabbatical to get rest. Just wake up and be with Jesus. And then take time in the middle of the day to be with Jesus. Then close your day by just being with Jesus even if it's just to sit there and know you love me so much, you just want to be with me. And that is the rest our souls desperately crave. There's no way to engineer your life to save it from trouble, okay? I've learned that over my sabbatical. Our sabbatical was filled with trouble. Oh my gosh, so much trouble. There was drama. There's crazy things happen. You should feel bad for me after my sabbatical. No, I'm just kidding. No, I... It was crazy, right? I got, had to get stitches twice. I haven't gotten stitches in like 20. Oh, I actually didn't get it the last time because I'm lazy. So I don't know. My leg might get infected. That's fine. Um, but like, I just, all this crazy stuff happened. Like, you will never be able to manufacture rest in your life or get to a place where you're free of trouble and care. The only place you can go to get free of that is Jesus. And so I just want to challenge you to take Jesus at his word when he says, here's the ocean of grace I offer you. If you'll just come to me, just open your Bible and talk to me. Not so you could get something out of it for later. Just by beholding Jesus' glory, you're going to get everything you need. Because you're going to come out of there looking like who? Jesus. Because you'll be radiating his glory on your face. That's it. Pour out your heart. Tell him what you're concerned about. Preach to yourself about how much he loves you from his word. Just enjoy him. And if it feels weird to do that, just start practicing. If you don't feel a desire for that as a Christian, one reason why is because you have a powerful spiritual enemy in heaven who is doing everything he can to prevent you from being with Jesus and to distract you and to deceive you into believing that the rest you really need is in football or TV or sex or drugs or anything but Jesus is the rest you need. Take Jesus up on this and you will find rest. I love this promise. We're going to start a series in Isaiah next week. Um, not the whole thing, part of it. But I love this promise in Isaiah 30 that he says to his people, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This is an astounding thing to think about. You know, there are graces from God that are unilateral. He just does them because he's a good God, right? Like there are all sorts of ways every day God just delivers you from trouble, protects you, keeps you from doing stupid things. That's just grace, right? There are all sorts of unilateral expressions of grace, but there are some graces of God, some mercies that he will only give when we come to him and do what? And Jesus longs to be with us and he's just waiting for us to come to him and cast our cares on him and be with him. And he said, come on. 
So will you come to him? Will you take him up on that offer? There is no better thing to carve out time for in your life. I'm convinced of it. Okay? So try to take my word for it if you don't believe it for yourself yet. There is nothing that will give you rest like that. And then you'll want to be close to Jesus throughout your day on his mission. And I'll end with this. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. If this all sounded weird to you, that's okay. But I want to tell you that the Christian message is about a God who is committed to bringing people close to himself. And so the God of the Bible is not this distant, disinterested, distracted God. He's a God who took on skin in the person of Jesus Christ and loved us enough to die and pay the penalty for our sins to be with us forever. In fact, the biblical story is that God loved us so much that he took on our own nature to commune with us as one of us forever. Which means God could not do more to demonstrate to you his desire to be with you. The question is, do you want to be with him? Because that's where you were created to be. And he invites you simply by saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I deserve judgment for the things I've done. Thank you for taking that punishment on the cross, Jesus. And now I just want to be with you because I was created to. I want to do what you say because you know what's best. I want to follow you because that's where life is. That's being a Christian. And then you get to be with Jesus and have this unspeakable privilege of being his coworker in the world. All right, let's pray. So God, I thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that this would not be condemning but liberating for people. That Jesus, they would, they would not see a pointed finger at them to be on mission, but they would see an invitation, come with Jesus. Be where Jesus is. Because Jesus, there is no greater place for us to be. So I pray this, this day that we would find our rest in you and our joy that we would fight for it there that you would meet us by your spirit as we humble ourselves before you. And then, Jesus, we would desire that communion throughout the day to just be led to the next thing you want to do through us. Spirit, awaken us to all that you are doing around us. We pray it for your sake, Jesus.